Amen. Well, welcome to the final day of 2023. I kept waiting for Brenda to join me up here, and then I realized she's in the nursery. She's laying up treasure in heaven today. Amen. She is very good with children, always has been. They just, she just does, she does whatever they want her to do. That's what, that's why she gets along so well with children. <laughs> but it's good to see you. Thank you for being here. We have, um, I'm going to be sharing from uh, 1 Peter chapter 2 here in just a little bit. Um, Jesus is alive and well. No matter what the news is saying, nothing has changed his power. Nothing has changed his resurrection. And boy, do we ever need reminding of that. We live in a world that's pretty broken right now. Um, if you want to get depressed, just listen to the news a lot. Because it is depressing. We have a war going on in Ukraine that looks like uh, it's going to be going on for a while. And then we have a war in Israel. And um, I get daily updates. I, uh, I'm part of a... Uh, Israel Real, uh, you can kind of Google that, or if you're interested in getting that, there's a subscription to it. It gives you up to date. So I don't read it every day because it would kind of just put a damper on your day. But um, there's, a, there's a war going on in Israel. There's stuff going on in the West Bank. There's things going on in Syria and Yemen. And you have Iran that is getting closer and closer to developing an atomic bomb or the capacity to build an atomic bomb, and that would not be a good thing. I don't know if you realize how dangerous a world we live in today. It is a very dangerous time. Um, there was a report recently that 140 Christians in the central part of Africa were martyred just because of their faith. These are the sort of things that happen. It's hardly, it, that hardly ever makes the news because so many other things are vying. We have disruption in the streets. We have crime everywhere. Have I made you depressed yet? <laughs> uh, I, I'm just saying all of this because God is not changed. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. No matter what's going on in our world and how much negativity is going on in our world, how many Things that we lived through this year that was uh, a downtime, uh, maybe dealing with uh, depression, uh, bitterness, whatever things that we have encountered this year, he is still alive and well. And he can change whatever we're facing. Um, we live because he lives. And I titled this message, This House is Alive. And I'm just not talking about this building. I'm talking about this house and the body of Christ is alive. The body of Christ is alive and well. Um, in Sunday school, someone mentioned a song, uh, Fill My Cup, Lord, says, you know, older people will know that, and they looked at me. And, and I'm, I'm pretty good with old songs. There's a, an old hymn. I don't even know if everybody in this room has even heard this because we've kind of gotten away from hymnology. We went to more praise and worship. And I grew up on hymns. And every resurrection time, every Easter service, we pretty much included this song. He lives. He lives. Christ Jesus lives today. He 
walks with me and talks with me along life's narrow ways. He lives, he lives salvation to impart. You ask me how I know he lives. He lives here. And that hasn't changed. No matter what the circumstances are around you, no matter what you feel is going on in, inside of you, that has not changed. He's the same. He lives within us. And I'm not talking about the institution of the church and, and all of the st structure and organization. I'm talking about the body of Christ that's beyond this building. There's people that are our brothers and sisters in the Lord that are in places where they can't do this. They can't gather together in public. They have to gather together in private. But there's as much a part of the body of Christ as we are. And boy, does America not need another awakening. How strong is the foundation of the church? It's pretty strong, isn't it? And I'm going to take you to 1 Peter chapter 2. Um, the, the one person that we're going to read of and, and what Peter speaks to is probably the most prophetic messianic prophet in the Old Testament. Who would that be? Isaiah. Isaiah. Think about how many things Isaiah looking forward. I was like 800 years ahead. And I mentioned, it's hard not to mention Isaiah without 53 and 61 and, and 7 and 5. And all of these, he's looking ahead. He's, he's not even fully aware of what he is saying. But he's prophesying. And he prophesies in, in his scriptures. And this is quoted. Let me just read you from 1 Peter chapter 2. And Peter quotes Isaiah here. As you come to him and... And I, and I hate not reading the first part of it, but you can read it there as you have the, the scriptures. But in verse 4, he says, As you come to him, the living stone, that's a refer, reference to Jesus, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, and also the living stones are being built into a spiritual house. That's us. To be a holy priesthood, Offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in scripture it says, and here's a reference to Isaiah. See, I lay, in, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. And Peter is inspired to turn to Isaiah for this messianic prophecy. And Peter lives on the side of seeing all of this come to pass. And he goes back and he says, here is what Isaiah prophesied. And I've lived to see it and to be a part of it. He's discipled by Christ. He's given insights into the prophecies. You think about every day, practically every day, Jesus is preparing these men to carry on the work that he's going to find and he's going to start. Who knows what Isaiah understood when he penned that? We don't know, but we do know this, that God's anointing was upon him. And here we are, the people of God, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. We've been blessed to only see Isaiah. We, we've been blessed to see Is, what Isaiah did not see. We've got to experience what Isaiah did not experience. 
And here it is. The cornerstone, Jesus is that living stone. In verse 7, he says, Now to you who believe, this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. He's become that fixture in our lives. You know, when they built a building, uh, and stonework was just about all the, the way that they built in Israel. There was hardly any wood in Israel. You hardly ever saw any houses in Jesus' day built out of wood. It's all built out of limestone, some kind of edifice of stone. But it, the, the big buildings, like the temple, it started with that cornerstone. The cornerstone had to be put in place, and it was a massive stone. In fact, if you ever get a chance to go to Israel, probably don't want to go right now, but if you go down to the temple area and that wailing wall, the, the western wall, these stones are massive. And you just look at it and says, how in the world did they do that without the heavy equipment that we have today? It was an amazing feat for them to create. But the cornerstone had to be right before anything else could be added. And he says, in the church, we have one anchor of our lives and that is the cornerstone that is jesus everything relies on him everything about our faith the house the church that we're part of it all rests on that cornerstone and it says this that we're not only living stones that we are part of that body we're part we are alive in christ and through christ we're being built up a spiritual house anybody here want to be built up strengthened expanding your spiritual experience I, I just feel like that on this last day I believe God wants to tell us and speak to us he has more for you than you could ever think I think we sell ourselves so short spiritually because we just kind of get a little bit of comfort zone and we don't feel like we need to press in and God is is just wounding us and welcoming us to step into his life more and more. His life that is abundant. There's no limit to his life. There's no limit to his power. And how much more does he want us to know him and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his suffering, to know everything about him. Every single day of our lives, we have a chance to step more and more into the knowledge of the Lord. Think about the exactness of this prophecy. And he quotes Isaiah, I lay a stone in Zion. I lay a stone. Think about what that meant. That was like a reference to Jesus laying down his life. His death and resurrection is that cornerstone. The very suffering that he endured, all the condemnation that was laid upon him, that was all prophetic. And it was the payment for our sin, the sin of the entire world. You know, sometimes you have to prepay for stuff. And I don't like that. You know, we, we, we spent the night Friday night in Huntsville, and uh, we met up with Susan and Terry, Brenda's sister and her husband. We just had a time together. We just kind of had a, a late Christmas together. And I, they asked a card for incidentals, and I gave them a card for our room. And then all of a sudden, you know, you got digital stuff, and all of a sudden it popped up says, $20 was just, was just put on my credit card. And I know that, but that bothers me. So I went to him the next morning, and I said, you know, I gave you a card. We didn't use it, 
and it charged my credit card for $20. Yeah, I says, I don't like paying for something that I haven't done yet. You know what the guy was, he wasn't really kind of like inviting me to come back. He says, well, you ought to be thankful some places put $100 on your account. And I wanted, I guess he expected me to say, well, thank you that it's only $20. But I'm watching it. But you think about Jesus prepaying for where you are right now. Prepaid for your salvation. Paid in full. Not up to this day, but for the whole time that you have living on this earth. He's paid for every day, every breath. He's paid for every moment in your life. Ahead of time. So that we can know him and experience him. There should be no lack of worship for that. The gratitude. We ought, we ought to have these moments where it kind of goes beyond what we can even say or think of, about being filled with the gratitude of what he's done for us. One of the kids was telling me all about what they got for Christmas in, in our break between worship and now and, and just details. Everything. That was just this little thing they got. And just real quick, gave me all the details. That's what makes Christmas pretty interesting, isn't it? For the little ones. What about the details God has for us? What about the uniqueness of our relationship with him? The hope we have. If there's something short in a lot of people's lives, it's hope. It's assurance. It's confidence. We are told that this is the largest credit debt ever in our country today. And that 60% of the people live from paycheck to paycheck. Now, I'm not going to ask how many would raise their hand that, hey, that kind of defines me. But that's the pressure we're in. And yet, if we're not careful, it will burden us to the point that this life that we have in Christ would kind of be suffocated. And that's the last thing that God wants. But what actually happens when we really zero in on what Christ has done for us? I'm going to take you, Pat, let's go back to verse 7. He says, now to you who believe, and it always rests on faith, doesn't it? To you who believe, you who have come to this place of trust, this stone, Jesus, is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And this is prophetic, a stone that causes people to stumble. And a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. Say something about that in just a little bit on the ending of that verse. But this is really encouraging language. It can be discouraging, but it's encouraging language that the, those who believe, you and I who have believed, this stone is precious. This stone is the anchor of our lives. The living stone, it's our hope. For those who do not believe, it becomes a stone of stumbling. It's kind of like a cost of unbelieving. And it's not because they don't believe, it's because they have rejected it. Someone who doesn't have to be, people don't have to be a fanatical sinner, a pagan, a, a the worst of people. They just have to be a person who don't believe, who haven't trusted in the Lord. And there's that word destined, which is also what they were destined for. 
You know, the message of the cross, the power of the cross is unto those who believe, who put their trust in that faith. Do you know it is impossible to please God without faith? You don't have to be committing a lot of sin. It's just faith. It's believing. Believe that trust, that confidence in the faith of Christ. It breaks the power of sin. And when you read this, you get the idea that people don't have to be a ranked sinner. They just don't believe. They don't trust, which is also what they are destined for. You know, in some theological circles, um, this predestination, election, there's some people that are elected to be saved and the rest are elected to be lost. I mean, we, don't, we don't adhere to that because the Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He gave the world, whether they believe or don't believe. He gave them a sacrifice for their sin. It's, it's not just the sin of sinners who's going to come to him that he paid. He paid for the sin of every person, regardless of what they do with the gospel or have even heard of the gospel. And But there's some theological uh, places where there's people elected to be saved and the rest of them are doomed to be lost and it's all predestined out. It's you can't, if you're, if you're going to be a Christian, you can't help become a Christian. If you're lost, there's no, no way you can be anything but lost. But it seems like the scriptures does not uh, uh, say that. That unto him who believes, not unto him who is elected, but to him who believes. Aren't you glad that God gives us the opportunity to respond to him? That he doesn't make us believe because somehow we got elected to believe. That we heard the gospel and thank God some of us heard the gospel early in our lives before we could kind of like start being, you know, cerebral about it and examining it or, or going by our feelings. And, and is this real? I grew up in this. I know this. Am I what I am because I grew up in it? And all of a sudden you realize that no, you had an experience with Christ. Billy Graham's daughter said she can't remember the day she got saved. As far back as she remembers, she's been a follower of Christ. Maybe at two years of age, she got saved. I don't think I remember anything I did at two years, three years, maybe four years. And even then, I might be wrong about the age, the things that I can remember. But I do remember distinctly the day I accepted Christ, the day I went to an altar, the day I was pressed in my soul. You know, I was waiting for the, for the guy to get through preaching and say amen so me and my buddies could go outside and chase each other around the cars and do whatever we was going to do. And all of a sudden, this encounter I had with the gospel, the living Christ came to a kid that, that saved my life. He saved my life. And that is a, my point of reference to what he's talking about. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God.
Yeah, it's, it's gone. We'll have to return those batteries. <laughs> Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Let me tell you a little bit about what happened a few years ago. On a Wednesday morning, April 18th, 1906. Anybody want to guess what I'm about to... 1906? 1906, does that ring a bell with anybody? How about San Francisco? A massive earthquake took place. They, they really did not even have a way of measuring it. But looking back, they think it might have been 7.7. Massive earthquake. They really don't even know how many people died. It was just so many people in Chinatown that really didn't have a legal residence. So they said between three, between 700 and 3,000. That's how wide the estimate could be. But something else was going on about that same time. That was a Wednesday. The previous Sunday before that, April 18th, April 15th, the Sunday before that earthquake took place, there was a spiritual earthquake that took place. It wasn't, well, it was at Azusa Street, the launch of the Azusa Street Revival. But that Monday prior to that, six days prior to that, a lot of people don't know this part about the Azusa Street Revival. There was a prayer meeting, a daily prayer meeting going on in a home on Bonnie Bray Street. These people were so hungry for God, searching for God, crying out to God. They knew there was something more to their faith. They knew there was more power than what they had. And they were spending every day. They had prayer meetings going on every day. Obviously, they didn't have television. Probably that would have kind of canceled out some of the prayer meetings. But they were seeking God. And the power of God fell on Bonnie Bray Street on that Monday. It was a mixture, ethnic mixture of African-American and white people worshiping together, praying together, seeking God. And, of, and maybe you don't know this, but one of the key people in this move of God in Los Angeles was Pastor Smell, the pastor of First Baptist Church in Los Angeles. He had been to the great revival of Welch, the Welch great revival. He had been so energized by the overwhelming presence of God. He came back to his church and he said, we're starting daily or, or nightly prayer meetings. And that church had people standing probably four or five deep waiting for the building to be open on those days of seeking God. It was really a move of God across Los Angeles. And the move of God brought all of these people into that moment when William Seymour, an African-American evangelist at an old stable they rented as a meeting place. He was on his knees. There was no preaching. There was no worship. They were crying out to God. And in that prayer meeting, the power of God fell in that place and people got baptized in the Holy Spirit. And the Azusa Street Revival was up and running. 
People left there. Some of them got on trains, went to New York City, felt a call to go to China and waited in line to see if somebody had the money for them to get fares to get on that ship. Didn't know Mandarin, didn't know anything. They just felt called to go. No, nobody sponsoring them. Now, mission groups wouldn't do that today. They got on ships. They went to China believing that somehow, some way, they'll get there and learn the language and tell people about Jesus. Could we use another move of God? An outpouring of the Holy Spirit? What I want to tell you, God has not changed since 1906. He is the same today as he was then. And I do believe he will honor hunger. He will honor thirst. And he's even put a promise in his word that they who hunger and thirst after righteousness not might be filled, but they will be filled. We don't need more power from God. We have that, but we need greater hunger for him. And we need greater thirst. And on this last day of this year, I want to challenge you, get hungry, get thirsty. Tommy Barnett used to say, well, people say you, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. He said, I can make him drink. I'll throw a salt tablet in his mouth, and that'll make him drink. He says, sometimes we just need somebody to throw a salt tablet in our mouth to get us more thirsty and hunger, hungry for him. The church is alive, but are we at a place of being renewed day by day? being made alive in him. There's no lack of the power of God. I think our lack is what's keeping us from experience what God has. I want our praise team to come back up. And I want, I want us to pray that God would do something this year way beyond our expectations. Starting tonight, starting today, starting right now, that this house he is building is alive. Always has been alive because he's the living stone. And he said, all the other stones added to that cornerstone are living stones. We are alive. He's alive. We are alive because we're connected to him. Would you stand with me this morning? Lord, we thank you for bringing us through this year. We thank you that you have kept us from things that we never knew that was close to us, the danger on the roads, the dangers around us. We have no idea what you have kept us from, but we do know what you've brought us through. And you are faithful to bring us through every challenge that we face. You've brought people through in this room things that have been great challenges to them. It's been a battle for them, whether it's health, financial, family-wise. This has been a year of struggle, but we're here this morning saying, Lord, your life is what we need. Pour your life into us. We pray for this coming year that tomorrow will bring a new hope, a new passion, a new revelation of who you are, and that you have something for us this year way beyond what we could even ask or think. I do believe that you want more for us than we could ever want for ourselves. 
reveal yourself to us today, Lord. Reveal yourself to families. If you're here with your family, I want you to just come and stand around the front. And I want us to, as we come, say, Lord, here's my life, here's my family, here's my marriage, here's our children. Oh, may this year be a year of your pouring out power over us, over our home, that we see breakthrough, Lord, in things about our families, that we need to see something happen. So if you just bring your family, this is our altar time this morning to just come and stand here and say, Lord, I bring my children, I bring, some of you bring your grandchildren, bring bring those that are not even with you, but you bring them on your heart. If you've got a prodigal in your family, bring him, bring her. And stand here and say, Lord, I surrender my brother, my sister, my niece, my nephew, my grandchild, my grandson, my granddaughter. Some of us, Lord, are crying out for the salvation of members in our families. We are not afraid. We are being, we're pursuing them with everything within us, Lord that the conviction of the Holy Spirit will come upon that young man, that young woman, that father, that mother. That holy conviction will come upon them and convince them that you're the only way. There's no way to lasting peace in our world but through you. All the chaos that's around us, Lord, in you there's peace. In you there's comfort. In you there's stability the chaos cannot invade who you are. Lord, may you just start pouring out over us an intercessory spirit for our families. Hallelujah. 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 Just begin to pray and lift your families up.
you, we'll invite you to join us this evening to pray for this coming year, to bring before God things that we need to see, miracles we need to see, battles that people are facing that they're in right now. Um, we want to see a move of God. Amen. God has a purpose for us. He has a destiny for us. And I'm going to ask Brad if he'll come and especially pray over this young generation. We thank the Lord for he and Lacey, for Guillermo and Nora that minister to our youth and our children. We want this to be the greatest year that TFA youth and TFA kids have ever had. And it'll be because TFA families have a move of God. Amen. So, Lord, we just thank you for our staff, for our leaders, for those who lead classes on Sunday morning, those who are Royal Ranger commanders and impact sponsors, and those who are even with the children out in the nursery and and child care area. We are so blessed to have so many people that are in leadership positions, serving others, Lord, we are grateful, but we want to see an explosion, a revival here, not only here, but in our city and in our state, Lord, and in our nation, how our nation so divided. God, we need a move of your spirit to awaken this nation to who you are. And we are believing that 2024 is going to be a year of revival, a year of spiritual awakenings. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you pray with me over the youth? Um, as Pastor was saying, you know, I think every year is a, a, the beginning of the year is always a time of reflection where you can look back at what God has done and, and you can expect what God, you believe God wants to do in the next year for the next period of time. And what a what an awesome time, last day of the year to, to do that. And, and as pastor was praying, that's what we are believing for. We, we don't just say those things. Like we believe that the youth are going to bring the revival. Uh, it, it may start with the families. It may start with the parents. It may start with a, a lot of different people. But um, the the harvest is ripe. Uh, we believe that the, the field out there is, is ready. And uh, who better to do it than, than the young people? And um, this next generation is going to come up with a... a of a fervor and a passion for the Lord that maybe we've seen in a long time. And so uh, let's believe that as we pray this morning. Heavenly Father, we come before you again. Thank you for each and every one of our young people. Lord, I'm thankful uh, as a youth pastor that I can see students come into youth ministry already with a great foundation. Lord, they've had a great foundation from Impact and Royal Rangers and Kids Church and Bible Quiz and Lord, all these things that they're able to go to, these discipleship weekends, and they come in, their families have invested in them. They read to them at night. They pray with them, Lord, before they go to bed. Lord, they're, they're constantly uh, able to share your love and life with them. And I'm thankful, God, for parents who will invest in their kids. Lord, I thank you for this next generation of youth who is hungry for something real, for something authentic. Lord, a lot of the things, we know a lot of the things they see it in the day on social media and all the things on the screen that they're constantly being fed, a lot of that is, is, is not even real. It's not as deceptive. But your word is real. Lord, your truth is real. 
and where there's all the lies of the enemy that try to combat against the young person to turn them away from you and away from the things that you've called them to. We know that your word is the center point of truth. And so, Lord, I pray for a, a firm foundation on that with our young people where they can grow hungry for truth and hungry for your word and not just reading your word, but understanding it through your Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray for the hearts of our young people to be revived this year, that 2024 will be a year of increase. Lord, we can see it in our youth group. Lord, we can see it uh, double and triple and even, Lord, just go into new heights that we've never seen before. There's a lot of great uh, other churches and youth pastors out there and youth groups. God, I pray that they would expand as well. Lord, that we can infiltrate these schools uh, that surround us. There's way more students in these schools than there are seats in our churches. And Lord, so I pray that, that our churches will be filled. And God, that we can uh, spark uh, revivals that we've never seen in Tuscaloosa. But Lord, in Tuscaloosa, let us start. Why not start with us? And why not start here? Lord, but I pray that this will be a sweeping thing throughout our nation, God. Lord, as the time grows shorter and shorter for your return, Lord, we know it's, it's more important to be urgent with your message. So Lord, let our message start with us. Uh, let it start with a revival. And God, I pray for every one of these youth, God, especially in our church. Lord, to have that boldness that comes through your Holy Spirit, that comes with that fire, that comes with spending time with you uh, in prayer and in the word and just being able to go out and speak. Even the the introverted, the shy ones, God, Lord, I pray that uh, you would use the gifts and talents and abilities that you've given them, that they can be called uh, to to reach those around them, to reach the, the one and then the next one. And Lord, that we can see the discipleship, God, uh, of the the men in this church and the women in this church to take uh, youth under their wing, God, that they can speak and pray over them, that this will not be a a passive thing that we do when we come to church, but it'll be active, God. Lord, let it be in our minds to come to church ready to to wage war against the enemy, to wage war against the things that that have happened in their homes during the week. Uh, We know that a lot of our youth come from homes uh, that aren't Christian. Lord, they come from broken, uh, desperate situations where they may get yelled at and cussed out at. But Lord, I thank you for the life and the hope that comes with your gospel, that comes with the the hope of knowing you and growing closer to you, God. Let this be a safe place for them. I thank you for the future generation of leaders that you're raising up. We never know who is in our midst in this congregation. We've sent out missionaries from this congregation to different countries of this world. And Lord, you've been faithful to them. And Lord, I pray that that will continue. Lord, that we can raise up the next generation of preachers, of missionaries, of, uh, of teachers, doctors, lawyers, God, uh, construction workers, whoever it is, God. Lord, I thank you for who we have here and what you're going to do. And Lord, may it be multiplied in your presence. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.